Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER, for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states. Or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. All right, everybody, this is the Meat Eater Podcast. We're coming at you. I want to say we're coming at you live from Ketchum, but we're not. It's not live. We're coming at you dead from Ketchum, Idaho. <laughs> and before I get into the main thing, Ketchum, Idaho, the, the way I always knew Ketchum, Idaho, and this is my first time I've ever been in Ketchum, Idaho. I'm here for a backcountry hunters and anglers get together. And I always knew it was being like where Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway, the writer who wrote perhaps the greatest fishing story of all time. The Old Man in the Sea. You guys read that? Yes, sir. He shot himself to death here. Um, and right here in town, his grave's here in town. And I always knew that. And it was funny, this book just came out called Hemingway's Guns. And like it was always rumored that Hemingway shot himself with a, with a boss shotgun that he bought at Abercrombie & Fitch, which is totally funny because now Abercrombie & Fitch sells shirts to say Abercrombie & Fitch on them, but he used to be able to buy guns there. So he supposedly shot himself with a shotgun. And it turned out these guys did this book recently called Hemingway's Guns. They did a bunch of research and they realized he shot himself with a 12-gauge shotgun that was a W.C. Scott and son. After he kills himself, apparently like someone in his family brings his shotgun down to a welder here in town to have it destroyed. The guy smashes the stock up, cuts it in little pieces, and goes and buries it in the field. One of these writers goes to find this wel- whoever this welder is his kid still runs a welding shop as of a couple years ago. The kid pulls out a matchbox, showing him some parts they kept off this shotgun. The guy looks at it. He says, that's not a boss shotgun. You know, that's a Scott and Son shotgun. And he apparently, this shotgun, he like hunted ducks in Italy, shot shooting competitions in Cuba, went to a safari in East Africa, all the shotgun, favorite shotgun. Kind of a weird deal. Right here, catch him. And Ryan Callahan, who's sitting right here, told me that you, whenever he runs out of alcohol and he doesn't have any money, he just goes and takes the offerings that are left at 
Hemingway's tomb. <laughs> it's right across the street. <laughs> when I asked him about this, he said, I can walk over and get some alcohol for you right now. At the Hemingway's grave site. And yesterday, sure enough, we're standing there in town here. We're standing there, and he tell me this, like, oh, yeah, people are always going to his grave. We're standing there, and two dudes come up, and they're like, excuse me, sir, would you know where the cemetery is? And I'm like, let me guess, you know, and sure enough, I'm sure they're heading over to Papa's, uh, Papa's tomb. Well, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, do you think? That I mean, it's bad to steal it? Is it bad to steal it? No, because when it? they put, someone told me, like, normally you put plastic flowers at a grave. Someone told me that they just periodically come and take them all and throw them in the garbage. Yeah. It's, only, right. it's only okay if you're buying alcohol or guns. Yeah, I think so. Not plastic flowers. Now, something formal. The Meat Eater Podcast, brought to you by First Light, based right here in Ketchum, Idaho. It's an original hunting clothing brand. They make high-performance hunting apparel. I wear it all the time. These guys pioneered merino wool hunting clothing. Like the first ones that take that fabric and technology and bring it into hunting clothing. They make everything to get you covered for hunting from your merino base layers out to waterproof, breathable technical layers. Like I said, the good thing, and you're going to find this out in a minute because two of these guys are right here. The guys at first like actually hunt and fish real hard all year round, and they test their stuff endlessly, and it shows. And the weird thing is, if you ever want to call them and ask them a question, an actual dude will answer the phone. Like a real live person will answer the phone and answer your questions. Or you can make it even more simple. Go to firstlight.com, check out their stuff fantastic materials and the meat eater podcast is brought to you by the meat eater tv show hosted by me steve ranella i've got one of our producers sitting right here next to me Giannis long tong putellis we'll get to him in a minute we air new episodes on sportsman channel which if you don't have it on your tv set you really ought to get it it's actual real reality tv which is like the reality kind the kind that they don't normally make and the network Sportsman Channel is great because they trust us to make the show we want to make and they give their talent, I don't know if it's okay to say talent when you're referring to yourself, they give your talent the freedom to do real things in a real way without having to dope it up into something that's embarrassing to watch. That's a note I made to myself, but it's totally true. If you don't get Sportsman Channel and you ought to, you can still find all the Meat Eater you can stand at meateater.vhx.tv. You can stream it. You can download it. You can use the code Meat Eater Podcast, one word, Meat Eater Podcast, and get five bucks off on any volume. So we package these episodes. What, five per? Yeah, they vary, but four or five. Four or five episodes per package. So that gives you like two and a half hours of viewing pleasure. Um, we got a ton of them on there. How many, like, how many packages do we have now? I want you to know that for hunting and fishing podcast, this one's really integrated because the person you're hearing talking right now is not only a woman, she's Korean, right? Korean American. He- Korean American, Helen Cho. The most integrated um, broadcast you're ever going to hear about hunting. <laughs> um, what else, will I, what else do I, do I want to cover? Yeah, Sportsman Channel, First Light, Mediator Podcast, or I'm sorry, Mediator.vhx.tv, hit Mediator Podcast for your discount. What we're going to be talking about, and, and like I said, I have two, Ken Kruth and Ryan Callahan from First Light are here. Giannis Butelis from the Meat Eater team is here. Helen Cho is here. And Helen, tell what you just did for the first time today. I went fly fishing for the first time. Helen Cho went for fly fishing. <laughs> and so I was like, today we watched an otherwise honest person get corrupted. Because <laughs> Helen Cho was, up until today, like a meat slayer. 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much. Helen fished in order, like Helen went out to fish. She used to go out to fish in order to kill fish and eat them with a spinning rod. You like to surf. More conventional, yeah. You like to surf fish. You like to fish. You want to fish party boats. She likes to party. She likes to party on boats. <laughs> no, she likes to fish. She likes to fish on party boats. She used to go out and was a fish killer. And today she was corrupted right here in Ketchum <laughs> and went on an outing that was meant to be to catch fish, to, to, to poke holes in fish's faces for fun and then let them go. So Helen became a fly fishing catch and release angler today. I don't know if you become one if you go once. But well, you dabbled in it. It was, yeah, the introduction, she was lured, the beginning of the end. <laughs> she was lured to the dark side of catch and release angling today, right here in catch him. I was with her. I caught a fish and let him go. I caught, he was, I caught him on accident, but I caught him and let him go. And that's one thing I want to talk about today. It's the thing that's perplexed me my whole life. And I've said on both sides of the fence is, and, and I've packed this room with fly fishermen, is what, like, I, I want to talk about why do so, like, what is it with fly fishing? Because we all know that fly fishing is, you know, Technically, right? Catch me if I'm wrong. The real only difference, like to define fly fishing would be the fly, the lure, is delivered by the weight of the line. Right? Yep. And on spin fishing, the, 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 the lure is delivered by its own weight when you cast. Yeah. But there's massive amounts of cultural BS. There's like massive, like massive amounts of like cultural and ethical stuff has been laid over. What's the difference between spin fishing and fly fishing? Yes, and that's something we covered today. Like, I look at fly fishing as a means to catch fish. This is Ryan Callahan talking. That's it. Right? And there is, just like you said, there are massive amounts of opinion and chunks of, like, nostalgia heaped upon how you fly fish. But for me, it is a means to catch fish. Was the the first fish you ever caught on a fly rod? No. No, not at all. What was the first fish you caught? Um, I am. I would think it's a rainbow. Because you grew up in Montana. Yep. Yeah. You caught them on what a worm? Man, you know we used to. My mom used to have us round up grasshoppers out of the garden. We'd take a bobber, a hook, and float it down a Prior Creek on the Crow Indian Reservation outside of Billings. Yep. And catch a lot of that's prior creek like the prior mountains it has some wild horses in it right yep exactly yep and you guys catch would you thump them in the head or would you we would keep quite a few fish yep yeah yeah so ryan i'm gonna get real technical about fly fishing for a minute but ryan was sharing me today we were talking about all the do's and don'ts of fly fishing all the ethics of fly fishing he was saying that around here guys are guys like will fish a dry fly they will not want to strip a woolly bugger which is apparently not how one fly fishes, but they will run a nymph rig, which is basically bobber fishing with a fly rod. I call a fl- like what do you what do you got the strike indicator? It's a bobber. It's a bobber. I call it bobbers it's all a the time. It pisses fly fishermen <laughs> off. You say, "What do you guys bobber fishing?" Yeah. Well, no, it's a strike indicator. I'm like, yeah, that's what it is. When my four year you you know my four year old <laughs> uses it to indicate when he has a strike. Yes. Yeah. But we'll say it's a bobber. No. The funniest thing about that too is that they had all these different kinds. Right of now bob- you're 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 here you're here in Canton. Is that they had all these different kinds of bobbers for years, right? They had these, you know, fuzzy things, this and that, and now guys just have thrown it the towel in. They use bobbers for Almost, real, like oh, a yeah. spring-loaded bobber. Well, it's a little bit lighter, so it casts a little bit. It's like yeah. a basically. Um, are you round. referring to a thingamabobber? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
because it's thinger, my bobber. When it comes Lot to fly fishing, yes. Will you use one? Um, uh, no, I didn't use one, but I will use one. Heck, I'm a. Fi- I like to catch fish, man. I'm not. I use indicators all the time. But tell these guys what you just got back from doing today. Uh, steelhead fishing. I was up on the Klamath, and it was exceptionally good. Um, and tell how, how, like, explain the whole thing. Like you're, you, you had a seven-year dry spell or something like oh, that. Oh, I mean, I have been. You know, we kind of go regardless. Um, it's a family reunion kind of deal, so the fishing is a secondary program. So we just kind of show up, and if the fish are in, the fish are in. Traditionally, the fish are not in uh, this year. <laughs> because the time of year, or just because like the rivers have, because those rivers have been so degraded, and the steelhead runs are not what they used to be. And all, that. all of the above but you know with steelhead fishing it's one of those things where you're either you know and you quickly find this out is that you arrive and the, everybody there is like packing up saying you should have been here last week you yeah, know it's yeah. just the classic example but this time i was there last week and you know this was traditionally you were there this week i was, it was there as this good week as, it was the week and it was off the charts it was like uh as good a fishing as um even the old timers there fishing there for 40 years said it was the best fishing they'd had in 40 years. Now, I want to explain something real quick. So, a steelhead, like, there's a term, anadromous, right? So, anadromous means that a, a fish lives in the ocean, or in the case of the Great Lakes, lives in a lake and runs up the river to spawn. And then the opposite of anadromous, catagenous, where a fish, like an American eel, is catagenous, lives in the river and goes out to the ocean to spawn. But steelhead, a river run are like sea run rainbows it's a rainbow trout that you know he's hatched he's born goes through his larval stage or whatever his, his 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 youth in the river goes back out of the ocean turns into a big fatty comes back out the river guy like kenton goes down there and catches one and it's not too big and it's, sometimes it's hard to tell if you caught a rainbow or a steelhead certainly that's uh, on the or on the younger fish you know uh, uh a young steelhead will be you know two pounds and 18 inches which you know, for a rainbow, it's a great fish. It's a giant fish, yeah. And steelhead, you know, they can get up to be huge. I mean, you know, it's not uncommon for a guy to catch a 10-pound fish What was the biggest all. one you guys got? Mm, I caught a 9-pound, probably 8.5, 9-pounder on a dry fly, which was kind of And cool. there's no doubt that, that 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 fish had been out in the ocean for a couple of years at that point. I mean, he's just a no full-on balls-out steelhead. Full-on, and we were only 15 miles off the coast. Was he clipped? Was he a hatchery fish? No. Wild, wild-born fish. Wild. And in fact, all the fish I caught pretty much were wild. Um, no, you, didn't, you, didn't, you, you probably can't even thump those fish, right? You can't keep them. The, so that's legally enforced catch and release. Exactly. And then if you have... That's, and so one guy on the trip caught a uh, caught one with a clipped adipose fin, and um, we smoked it and ate it, and it was fantastic. Oh, did you really? Yeah. So if it's got a clipped fin, if it's a hatchery fish, you can keep it. Correct. And then you guys stumped it? Yep. Brought it in, and it was probably a seven or eight pound fish, filleted it, and then um, smoked it all day the next day in the smoker. You know, ad- like adipose fin means, it just means extra fin. Like it's like a little fin on their back. It's not clear what function it serves. Probably serves some fun. They, they used to cut everybody's tonsils out because they didn't think tonsils right. serve any function. So adipose means extra. My brother Danny has an adipose nipple. <laughs> he's got a third nipple. Yeah, he's got a third nipple what? on his chest. Right. He calls his adipose nipple. Way to blow up his socks. So what they'll How do? Is it adipose? <laughs> All men's nipples are adipose. Well, I know, but it's extra adipose. It's like it's like the extra. You know, it's, you know. So o- oddly enough, he didn't show that to me when <laughs> you didn't bring that up. No. And you fish still hit with him. Yeah, I fished with him. Fish still hit with him in Alaska. So he's got an adipose nipple. <laughs> An adipose fin, like when you, when you take a fish, if you want to know that he's a hatchery fish, they just snip that little fin off. 
it's kind of like it sits between the dorsal fin and the caudal fin, which is the tail. There's like this little thing on there, and it's, I don't know. It's kind of floppy. It doesn't. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. It might be some kind of vestigial thing. Like it used to do something that it doesn't do now. Agreed. So if you want to mark a hatchery fish, you just snip that thing. So what Kenton here is saying is that a wild fish that was like hatched and reared in the wild is hands off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other way around. If you could have killed one of those fish, you probably wouldn't have killed it, though. Mm, I would have kept one or two. Really? I, was, I already had the smoker. I mean, I was going to fire it up, and, it, you know, I might as well have filled a little. It was kind of a small smoker. I was, the goal was to fill the smoker up, yep. you know. If you're going to run it, you might as well I fill it up. already had the smoker. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I kind of like today, we, we fished this morning when Helen got corrupted. <laughs> we were fishing for cutthroats. I have kind of honestly quit killing cutthroats. Yeah, I understand that. In rivers, like like wild cuts, because cutthroats as a species, there's certain species in, in this country that are just sort of, you know, they have highs and lows, but the, just the general atmosphere, they, they're generally going downhill. You know what I mean? Mule deer, it's like, you know, like, like people are predicting in some ways, you can predict the end of mule deer. Like they're sensitive and sure, you'd be like, oh yeah, the golf course, there's always mule deer on the golf course. But in general, like mule deer are, Things don't look great for mule deer right now. Number of things like drought, habitat loss, you know, a lot of issues we could correct if we felt like it. If we had the energy and the money and we didn't care so much about being inconvenienced, we could fix the situation. Cutthroats are another thing they're just like generally seem to be going, there's even talk of putting cuts, some strains of cuts on the endangered species list. So I like to go out and get them. And this is kind of like hits the conundrum of what I'm talking about when I want to talk about this on a podcast is... I like to go out and get them, okay? I don't want to kill them because I'm like, yeah, you know, like I, I, I just feel the pain of the cutthroat. So when I hold a cutthroat, I feel the pain of the species, right? And I know that the individual, like the, the essence of the species isn't wrapped up in that little individual fish in my hand, but he sort of stands for something that's in decline. So I see him and I want to let him go, but what is it that made me want to poke a hole in his face and reel him in? You know? Because the, the dirty secret about catch and release stuff is there's some mortality. Yes, there <clears throat> absolutely is. They don't, like, it depends on water temp. It can be high as 15%. What have you ever heard? Yeah, about there, 15 to 20. Yeah, I also tell me a story. Tell me a story you were telling me the other day about as a guide, how many fish you guys land in a day. Well, there came a point when, well into my guiding career when I would start to. Tell where, like, tell where you were guiding. <laughs> this is central- a weird deal. The guy is talking right now. The guy that's talking right now, Giannis Boutelis, works on Meat Eater. And the show knew my... Are you still sick of hearing this story? Giannis <laughs> knew my... I tell it often. Giannis too. knew my wife in high school. Okay. So my wife, when we met, my wife's like, the only person I ever knew to like to hunt like you guys do is this guy, Giannis Boutelis. So just in one ear and out the other. Like I never pay any attention to what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> just like, you know. No, I'm joking. But you know, I was talking to this. One day I'm looking at this magazine, Western Hunter Magazine, which is one of my favorite hunting magazines. And I'm looking at Western Hunter, and there's a picture of kind of like that iconic image of a dude with a pair of binoculars up in the mountains. And it says, like, Giannis Boutelis glasses the Colorado high country. And I right away call my wife at work. I'm like, who's that dude you're talking about? Giannis something or another that likes to hunt? She's like, Giannis Boutelis. I'm like, I'm looking at that dude. He's in the magazine right here in my lap. So we connect through 
I think through my wife's Facebook. And it turns out that Giannis is living up. Giannis's wife is a botanist, and they're spending some time up in Fairbanks. And so we were going up to do a doll sheep hunt for the show, and yet we hired Giannis to carry a backpack. Everybody fell in love with him. And at the time, you were guiding. Easy thing to do. Yep. At the time, Giannis was like guiding elk in Colorado, guiding elk in Arizona, doing some coos deer stuff down in Mexico. He started working with us, and eventually we, we, we wooed him away from all that. But he was a trout guide for a long time, and he's now going to relate like an observation he had about how catchment these fly fishermen can't quite have as bright of a halo hanging over their head as they might like. Spin it, Giannis. Yes, because I felt like with seasoned good anglers that were competent and knew what they were doing, um, when the timing was right, when the fishing was hot, you know, mostly it was for us the month of July. This is central Colorado, the Eagle River, the Colorado River, the Royal Fork. Um, down outside of Aspen, um, we could catch 40 to 60 fish, um, sometimes per angler in a, in an eight hour float. You know, when the fishing's hot, you know, your fish is hitting the dry every, you know, couple minutes. So you can rack up the numbers. I never did it, but we definitely had guides that would run the clicker. Really? They really wanted to, they were proud of their numbers, you know, so they would sit there and click fish. Um, anyways. Like a golf clicker. Um, or does Orvis make a click? Just a, I don't know. Just a count. Just a count. <laughs> the Orvis fish click. I, I don't think they, they may. But when you get into those kind of numbers, and then you start talking about ten percent mortality rate, you know that's a lot of fish that die every day. You know? It's more than some dude down there with some snelled hooks and a box of crawlers. Well, as long as he is abiding by the rules, in most places it's two trout a day. You know, so if he catches his two and leaves, they only killed two, and he probably he probably didn't poke too many others. You know. Um, where we would poke 50 and, you know, for losing, you know, five to 10 of those fish, it's yeah. a lot of dead fish. And meanwhile, whenever he goes by that dude on the bank, like some dude at the bank, four or five kids up and down the bank in diapers and he's out there drowning crawlers, you know, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, look at that guy, you know? I, I did a, um, <laughs> like walking back with the stringer <laughs> and you're like, that guy. I, I helped One of those chain stringers with the clicker, yeah. the wire class on <laughs> I helped the Division of Wildlife do a uh, dead fish count once on the Eagle, and we floated down. We didn't really float. We, like, kind of crept, skidded down the Eagle River, super low water, just going over rocks the whole way. Warm water temperatures. I think we picked up 24 dead fish. You could just see them on the bottom of the river, you know, white bellies up. Red we spots just, on their lip? Um, when you look at them, just count them. No, we were taking them, you okay. know. Um, I want to say that 17 out of those fish, you could see the handprint on them from where they were probably held up for a picture. And, um, you know, like you were telling Jimmy today, wet your hands before you touch the trout, and so many people don't know how to probably handle a fish, and so yeah. then, then that mortality rate goes even higher. Yeah, we're talking about my little boy. I wanted him to let a cut go, and so I was telling him, you know, get your hands wet before you slip it on your belly. I know, like... The, I, the, I'll tell you, the, I, I remember the exact instant I, the instance I ever in my life. Is it instance or instant? I think I've, I feel like I always screw that up. I think I know the exact instance in my life when I heard the term catch release fishing. Like, my old man, I'm not even going to get into why this was okay, but in my old man's eyes, like, like bass season began on whatever day, okay, in Michigan. Let's say it was June 1. And his, so we all thought it began on mid at midnight. Rather than looking at it, it began on June one. We talked about it began on like the thirty first at midnight. And he thought, well, as long as it's starting up at midnight, 
which was technically the next day, we were allowed to fish that day because we couldn't be up at midnight. <laughs> we had to go to bed. So we were allowed to fish and keep bass, but we, wouldn't, we couldn't cut them until the next day when it was well into season. So we had a live well. I grew up on a lake, and we had a dock, and we had a live well that my dad made out of. You know those, you know when you're at a grocery store, and you, they have those bread racks, like the big rolling racks, the plastic perforated shells mm-hmm. they have all the loaves of bread on them yeah he just took a bunch of those and zip tied them together and, and do a live well and put styrofoam around it and we could fish bass all day and put bass into the live well and then season would start so the next day we'd get all our fish out of the live well and flam I'm, I'm not telling you to do this <laughs> so we did. and I was trying to get and I was so Steve I was Ranella so did it, eh? I was so little that I was still getting my parents were still giving me bads okay I remember that because I caught a big, huge bass two docks down on Gary's dock and hauled that thing home and was trying to get it into the live well and dropped it. And I was devastated. And I was so young that my parents would give me baths. So I remember that night, I was getting a bath. My mom was giving me a bath. And I was still so distraught about the bass I lost that my old man came in and told me some people fish just to let them go <laughs> as a way to try to make me feel better. You know? And I later got into it. I got into like and steelhead, and, and like I don't mean this is gonna bring down the steelhead. You like to catch Kenton because in the Great Lakes we have steelhead. Like the Great Lakes are like an aquarium where you turn like all the fish that were in there are kind of like either not there or they're hurting. But then we have great. It's a great fishery of imported fish. So we have great. Yeah, you know, we have all like almost all the Pacific salmon. They try to yeah. get Atlantics going. Um, we have pinks, coho, chinook. We got Lake Run Browns. Okay, there's tons of fish. Steelhead. And we used to count them. And, like, for us, I remember the best year I ever had, my third year of college, I think I landed 44 steelhead. And I probably thumped two of them. I thumped one of them when I was dating this girl from Sarajevo because I wanted to cook one for her. And I thumped another one at some other time. And we mostly just caught them just to count them, you know? And you were badass if you could catch 100 steelhead and let them go. And I would get where I looked down on the dudes doing it. And then I'm going to quit talking mostly after this, but I just want to just, <laughs> So we got so into fly fishing for steelhead. And then the steelhead wasn't always good. So then we got way interested in going to Mexico and fish for bonefish. So then my brother and I went down to Mexico to, to catch and release bonefish for a month. And we would fish bonefish all day and let them go. And then in the evening, we'd catch other fish to eat. And I would, in my day, look more forward to going and trying to catch little snappers and grunts and stuff out of the channels in order to eat. Because we just had a bag of rice, a bag of dried rice, a bag of dried beans, water, and we ate fish. Or we ate conch. So here we are, we're like, oh, no, we're not, we're not going to kill the bonefish because some reason I can't explain. But we'll kill all these other fish. We don't even know what the hell they are. They're just fish. Like, no idea. what They're just like, oh, it looks like a edible fish. We eat them. <laughs> And, I, and I eventually I just got dizzy from all the, like, like the, you know, the why. Why is this better than yeah, this? Yeah, and, and then I know some of you guys. Why is this worth saving? I know why some of you guys that fish catch and release, and they're like, oh, I'm not going to kill these trout. I don't want to damage the fishery. You know damn well when they get done, they go to some restaurant and order fish. You don't know where it came from. It's like, what about that fishery? Yeah. yeah. What's that fishery doing? And we talk about this on the hunting side of things all the time. You know, it's like uh, I was hiking with a friend of mine's niece, uh, taking her mushroom hunting this spring, came across an elk calf, and, and you ate it. <laughs> and we ate it. I bonked it. I landed it fairly. Um, no, and she's well. 
where's the mall? But well, she's probably up in this meadow feeding. We were kind of on the fringe of this big meadow. And she's, well, what's, should we like stay here and help the calf? And I'm like, well, if a bear comes by, came by it honestly. And she's like, well, we should save it from the bear. It's like, well, what makes the bear less valuable than the elk calf? You know, it's like, and why is that up to us to decide that? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, the whole steelhead, steelhead fly fishing is a great topic because that's like to our very first conversation that we made where it's like, this is how you fly fish. But you look across the river at the guy with the, you know, single pin rod and he's running 300 yards of mono down the river on a slip bobber and he's crushing fish you're like i bet i can make this fly rod do that yeah and catch more fish and you know a lot of times i call it like playing with house money right like i'll (laughs) i'll go out and i will nymph or run the bead right and that's very controversial in fly fishing we've talked about that when we were up in bc on us you mean like a beadhead nymph no you run a bead like you go meant to look like an egg yeah that's controversial? Yeah. It's not honest? It looks it's like not pure. It doesn't have an egg, or it doesn't have a hook on it. Nobody tied it. It's artificial. You take a toothpick, you jam it, so it sits above your hook. So it's basically like running a flasher. I don't really know yeah. about this. Now I remember you guys talking about this when we were hunting in BC. Yes. Yeah. It's no different than what the guys back in Michigan do with running like a sack of eggs with like a, a hook a couple inches yeah. below it. Yeah, like a know. stinger hook. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. So you're saying that it's controversial in, in I don't want to say elite, in like, what's the best term for like extreme, like the pure, like, it, okay, in a, from a purist fly fishing perspective. I don't know. I'd be like it's controversial to run a bead. A traditionalist. A you, traditionalist. Yeah. A traditionalist won't run a bead. No. I mean, a true. Tra- so a lot of these true tra- tra- traditionalists don't won't even. They're just all about dry fly. Like even even if you even nymphing is. They is, don't want to catch a fish on a wet fly. Yeah, it's just kind of it's it's you know, looked down upon. But you can yeah. swing a wet fly. One of the best arguments I ever heard, and it's one of the oldest arguments out there, was the late great um, Lee Wolf. Who, uh, Fam- I even, yeah, famous fishing writer. Exactly. Yeah. And, well, and he, he tied up the, uh, the Royal Wolf, which is still a fish catching machine. But it doesn't, it doesn't replicate anything. No, it's just no, an, it's an attractor. It's just an attractor so, is it, so is a map spinner. Yes. No, I know. Okay. Let yeah. me finish my story. <laughs> but his deal with why he wasn't into fishing, because I think during his fishing career, five fishermen started to basically fish below the surface. And they started using sinking tip lines and adding weight and whatnot. And he was. What? Would you know when this was? Like what year? <clears throat> I'd have to guess it'd, it'd be fifties, sixties. Unsubstantiated. Moving on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rejected. But he felt like by by doing that, you weren't giving like the fish um, just a, ch- a, a a day off, a, a time to a, a reprieve. Like, gotcha. He felt like you should be I catch like them on the surface when they want to eat on the surface. It, when exactly. they're not, it's like you give them a break. Exactly. Man, between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it's never-ending. I'm talking about the, the, the subscriptions, the monthly dings on your credit card. Well, thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app. It goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. Meaning, you know, like, let's say there's like a show that comes out and you want to watch it and you wind up doing like this free trial and you forget about it. And then two years later, you realize you're paying those hosers 
12 bucks a month for something you don't use. It finds that stuff, cancels it, and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings instead. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times, I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. That's interesting. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Here, like, I'm going to try, I'm gonna try to make a parallel. That, that, I'm warning you right now, it's not going to work. <laughs> okay. People will say, "Oh, I hunt wild," and I like I like to hunt wild pigs. Okay, so I'm guilty of this because I hate. I, if I could wave a magic wand and make wild pigs be gone, I kind of I'd be very tempted to wave the magic wand because of the because of the damage that wild pigs do. I mean, they they hurt ground nesting birds. They cause a lot of you know economic trouble for people, a lot of ecological trouble. So if I could, if someone if God came down from the skies and says like here's a stick if you wave this stick I will eliminate the wild pig from North America I would carry that stick around seriously consider waving it as a guy who likes to hunt wild pigs but people are like oh I we need to hunt wild pigs because they're overpopulated okay 
So if that's the case, why aren't they happy when they can't find a wild pig? But they get bummed. They're like, it was a terrible day. We couldn't find a pig. I'm like, but shouldn't you be glad? Because isn't the goal that there aren't or not any around? So when I'm out wild pig hunting, I'm always like hoping to run into a bunch. But it's supposed to be like, well, I kind of should be hoping to not to, right? Because I want them to not be here. So if a guy really wants to have something be super difficult, so you're going you're gonna to use something that you know doesn't work well. You're only going to use dry flies. But then you're happy when it works well. So you're happy if you get a 40 fish day. So what is it? Is it then not challenging? And then doesn't it cease to be what you wanted it to be, which is a challenging form of fishing? It just worked really great. You caught 40 fish. You outfished the dude throwing map spinners. You outfished the dude throwing worms. So now you should throw it away and start fishing worms because your dry fly works better than that and you want it to be challenging. Answer that. Well, no, I don't know if there's a question there. But you know it's only 10% of the time that you get that day. You fish all year for a couple days like that. It's like the gimme. You know, the gimme hunting when you're like, oh, walk 10 feet from the trailhead and there he was. Mm -hmm. You're not going to not shoot. You don't go. You got to shoot. That was too easy. I didn't like that. You go, I just spent 12 years, you know, swinging a fly waiting for this day. Just spent 12 years hiking up those mountains and I'm definitely going to take this gimme. Yeah. And look, I lived on a great dry fly fishing creek, Gore Creek in Vail, Colorado for a, a year. And... In our backyard. Gore Creek? Gore Creek. Never heard of that one. Um, exactly. Nate where Weber. is it and how great? It's Get pretty away. darn good. Gold medal. Named after Lord Gore, who just went through those mountains and Oh, just he raped and pillaged. Raped he, and pillaged. He hired Jim Bridger as a guy. Exactly. Jim Bridger got so sick of that guy shooting everything, Jim right? Bridger quit him. Yeah. He killed grizzlies in places. There aren't grizzlies within 500 miles there, mm-hmm. no. He killed a grizzly out by Glendive, Montana. Yeah. The the you the you Stu Indians tried to run him out of that country. This dude had blood on his hands. He killed like he's like he had a little tail. He talked about a golf clicker. He's like two thousand bison, twelve hundred antelope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bridger got yeah. sick of him. Anyways, Gore Crick. Gore Crick. You, your buddy Gore. Yeah. So I prefer <laughs> that over Al Gore. I'm, I'm glad it was named after. It. Like it's like an incandescent light bulb burning next to it. When we first got there, and we noticed he had a great fishing hole, right? And every day we'd just be in there pounding them you know they'd be in there rising and we'd be in there just getting after as much as we could and eventually it was like you know what let's just sit here and have a beer and watch these fish eat like it's just as enjoyable we don't need to catch these fish again it's you know it's still your same cutthroat buddy sitting in the same hole um and so you don't always have to have those 40 fish days even though the opportunity is there you can catch a couple maybe a dozen and then just sit on the bank and enjoy yourself well let's talk to kent he just had a 40 fish day how many steelhead did you catch a lot. A hundred? Yeah, probably. How many do you think are dead right now? You know, I Did don't you know. fight them to absolute exhaustion? <laughs> and, and then, like, flop and then take like thousands of pictures of them up <laughs> on the bank? Jimmy Houston a man, <laughs> flop him up. No, I'm pretty gentle. How many days? He's trying, oh, to, yeah. stun them. He's trying to stun them until they hold still for the picture. I with a nine weight, too, so I could definitely get pretty aggressive once they got close. Like, it wasn't like, you know, some guys will go steelhead fishing with a five weight, you know, and then that's when you really. Because that fish is dog tired by the time Dog you tired, because, yeah. you know, you flip fish with a you know, five weight would say. 5x or 4x you have no way even when it gets close the thing can keep running on you you know i was on a nine went with 2x so even a bigger fish if it got to the shallow water i'd kind of jimmy houston it close get it loose and get it out but i have no idea you know the whole time we were there we saw one fish floating down river upside down it was still breathing we turned it over it had the adipose cone we grabbed it and we that was one of the ones that we smoked how many did you catch all together as a team 
Like uh, out of the four of us, we probably caught, I don't know, 100, 200 fish maybe. And how many day- days was that? Five. Five days of fishing. Five days of fishing. Probably more than that. You know, some, guy, some guys fish more than others. That's awesome. You, uh, you got, you, you kind of got the, the white whale too. You got the. Hey, hey, every hold on a minute. Hey, Dan, I just called my brother. Who's a fish? He's like a, he works with fish. Well, who can cares? You, oh, Have him take a picture of the nipple. Can you tell me right now? We're recording something right now, so you're 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 not live, but you're close to it. Why when you why do fish die when you if you overplay a fish? Um, Just real quick. Is it like something to do with lactic acid buildup? What have you ever heard any uh, ideas about how many what percentage of steelhead die after people catch them and let them go? No, but there, I mean, there, are, there, are, there, are, there are there are studies on it, and, and it, it but it varies by uh, uh, water temperature and fish size, and bait versus fly, and you know a number of other. So if I if I'm sitting with a guy who just caught a hundred steelhead, what do you think? How many do you think he just killed? Off the top of my head. Yeah. Oh, I'd say maybe a third. Whoa, blood wow. on your hands. All right, I'm going to let you go. I'll, I'll talk to you later, man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Listen, I want to check it out. This dude's a fish biologist. He's an ichthyologist. So he does like ichthyology, but he does uh, aquatic invertebrates at a, for a university. He's full-on PhD, great school of minds kind of guy. Right. So you're saying he knows what he's talking about. He knows a lot about fish. But he likes to catch steelhead and let him go. Mm-hmm. Well, so got, well, who knows? Should have kept more. Who knows what a man will do? Should have just kept them all out. <laughs> 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 Ken's like selling smoked steelhead out of the bag of his truck <laughs> now, like, next to a taco stand. Oh, wait a, I got plenty. We had a bigger <laughs> smoker. I could have gotten that one fired up. Now, uh, home and now, Helen. Let me, okay. Did, as someone who's like, how, how many years have you been fishing? Maybe like seven, eight, seven, eight. What did you like? So, what was your feeling? Like, let's say you had caught some fish today and let them go. Would you have felt today? bummed? Yeah. Let's say you'd caught a whole bunch and let them go. Would you felt bummed, or would you have felt like no? This was just its own experience. It really had nothing to do with. It had nothing to do with catching fish to eat. It was just its own thing. We were enjoying a certain place, doing a certain thing that people have been doing it for a long time. I'm putting words in your mouth, but like, what was your <laughs> like? How did you look? I at don't it? know. I think if I had hooked it, if I had gotten it and it died. I would have probably felt a little bad. Really? But yeah, I mean, just for my entertainment that I'm going to go and fish. The, I don't know. But if I had released it, I think I wouldn't feel, I feel, I feel like it's like a separate experience. Like fly fishing is so far and different than fishing for meat to me. It's like. Why is that? I don't know. It's like when I go fishing um, in New York, it's like I'm on a mission. I, you know, I want to go out. I want to have a good time. But ultimately, I want to come home. To fill my freezer. Yeah, I went fishing with Helen and her boyfriend one time, and they come out there with one condiments for eating raw fish, and they come out there with a wire that when when they kill a fish, they cut the fish's tail off and run the wire through the fish's spine, which does the fish what? If you've ever been to a slaughterhouse and watch them slaughter cattle, they hit the cattle with a captive bolt gun, then they cut its throat, and then they electrocute it to relax its flesh, and when you run that wire 
through that fish's spine, he relaxes in a way that all the rocks in the world bind against his head are not going to do. What? And you spike his uh, It is unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. It's a, it's a Japanese process called Ikejime. I got to remember it. Yeah. We'll, we'll put it on the website. On it's like, it's like website. running a clothes wow. hanger through a fish's backbone, insert in his tail, and that fish just melts. He's like, ugh, I give up. <laughs> that is I, amazing. I, it's, that no, is it, awesome. You can really taste the difference, though. I mean, I'm telling you, when I used to, I used to trap snapping turtles. That is amazing. Yeah, I used to trap snapping turtles and sell them. And you'd cut the head off the turtle. Not your snapping turtles. This, what was no, it? No, what I'm going to tell you is, <laughs> no, I'm bringing this full circle. I'm okay. bringing this back around to Joe. Because, well, hurry up. Because this is important. No, I want to get back to it. I know I'm detracted. But anyways, this is going to enhance what Helen's going to talk more about, is you chop a turtle's head off. You'd grab, I'd grab it with a channel lock plier, his head, pull the head out, cut off with an axe, hang him up by the tail, and you'd have to wait six, seven hours sometime before you could clean that turtle because he was clenched up and clawing, right? I was down in Guyana hunting with Amer- 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 Indians. So it's like, you know, here we'll say like Native American or Indian, South America's Amer- Indians. We're hunting with Amer- Indians. They caught a big river turtle. First thing they did was run, uh, they just whittled a big long stick, ran it through that thing's backbone, and that thing was ready to eat, and the meat was super tender. It wasn't flexed. And they cooked that turtle right in his own shell, and they did the same thing. And I just kind of like, I was like, wow, that's crazy. But then the next time I saw that happen was when you guys were doing that to porgies. Poor porgies. They, <laughs> <laughs> they put him in like an ice, like a saltwater ice bath. But they do, I mean. After you, you, after you destroy after you their do, spinal column. And spike their brain. What's that mean? Spike their head. Like you take like a, like a gaff and, you know. Basically, spike it in its head. Well, so which one it stuns, first? It stuns it. Then you, then you wire. Yeah, them. yeah. What's what's the discipline called? Ikejime. And how many steps? I-K-E- process is it? J-I-M-E. Um, I think it's like a three-step process. So John you, would be better. You to, head to first, really exp- then tail, then wire. I think wire? you spike the head first, and then you cut the like towards the the tail, but not not the end. It's like you have a little meat left, and you kind of just fold it over, and then you stick a like a. Like a shark wire or something. You know, Dude, that fish cord. is cashed out after you do that. To wow. it. You basically run it all the way to its head. I will catch a Chinook at some point oh, on my fly it. rod. You should do that. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, I will do this. And then you put it in an ice bath. I'm going to find some things to uh, practice on. They did, a, they did a chef blind test, uh, blind taste test for this. Like, is that right? And yep. they could taste it? So we went out once and we had zip ties and we it was like it was like a science experiment. We had like, this one was just like the Montauk way where they just, you know, take a like a bat and just like hit it in its head and throw, and it, on ice throw it on ice so we did it that way then we did it you know ikejime way then we did it like you know all these different ways and then we actually it wasn't even the same day it was like 24 hours or 48 hours afterwards and then the chefs you know we put on different plates and and they actually picked the ikejime one which was incredible is that right yeah that day we did that it was funny it's like a lot of times you'll see a bunch of sports you know out on, a, on a guide boat and you'll see where they're flaying the fish and you hear them all go like, oh, no, you go, like, the people are like, oh, you go ahead and take them. No, no, if you want them, you go ahead and take them. <laughs> and you're like, dude, I guarantee you that in one year, all that fish is going to be freezer burned and getting thrown in the garbage. Yeah. But we ate half our fish before we left. <laughs> <laughs> we were mowing, man. That was fun. That was a fun day. EK Jime? EK Jime, yeah. There's a YouTube video of a guy in, like, Japan doing it. But not like your a, boyfriend? He, there's a video somewhere. Yeah. yeah. But he wrote about it, right? Yeah, he wrote it, a piece about it for the food magazine, Lucky Peach. Yeah. So, I mean, it has broken down. So it's more, it's, He's more, a good it's cook, definitely man. more than three steps. He's a good cook. You know. Yeah. New York City fish murderer. <laughs> 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 
cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. who'd have thought Helen's we gotta bring him on the there. most fish blood on her hands? Yeah. Yeah, and spinal fluid. Well, here's <laughs> <laughs> you got spinal well, fluid on your hands. Well, what's man? the deal with like with fly fishing? It seems like everyone's all about numbers instead of like because when we when we fish in, in Long Island, it's like, oh, I got this like doormat, you know, double digit fluke, you know, like the size and mm-hmm. versus like, I mean, like. Obviously, you can all their regulations, so you can only keep a number of things. I but yeah. I'm not like, I caught 50 porgies today. No, you know? our, I mean, our like, buddies, you do, it's but. like one good fish. Like, you'll go on, like, the Missouri or, you know, the Yellowstone or something that has the potential to be, like, there's a big fish in there. People catch them all the time. Yeah. Just hasn't been me, <laughs> you know? And a lot of days, like, you're like, okay, I'm going to throw like a big streamer or do something that I've told myself is the way to catch a big fish. And it's a one fish day or a zero fish day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and one of my, I once wrote something about how I was like, imagining the world, like if we could go back to the beginning of human existence and have all the same conditions and let everything run forward again, just to see what would happen, right? I think a lot of the things that happened would happen all over again, okay? I think that we would probably, a lot of people would develop sort of monogamous relationships, okay? Like, there's all these things of human behavior that I feel like if you just backed it up and let it go again, the same thing would happen. We would hunt, we would fish, right? We'd probably form government, language would have happened again. I was like, there's a couple things. Wearing your pants down around, Blow your ass would not happen again. And I don't think catch release fly fishing would happen again. Like, I, I, just don't, I think it must have been a total fluke. Because I feel that like when people and I do it too, so I'll talk about me too. I think it's it's like you're it's like some wiring got crossed in your head where you feel that as a human, and I'm saying this about myself, as a human, like I'm supposed to be out extracting. Okay. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be out hunting and fishing. Because for however long you want to define human history, you want to go back 75,000 years, 50,000 years, there's always, you know, everybody basically says some last 100,000 years, whatever, anatomically modern humans. Um, we've been doing these things, hunting and fishing. And I think people are kind of like, but I'm a little civilized. Like, I'm not cool with the death, but I have to do the, the act. Like, I have to do it. Yeah, you're doing it for pleasure at that point. Yeah, but it, I, I just don't see where it came from. It's like golf with where, fish. Where did cave art come from, right? Like, part of it was I want to express myself. The other part of it is it's pretty brutal out there. I'm probably going to waste some time in here. Make some, make some paintings. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a form of entertainment, right? Yeah. It somehow s- could be superfluous to survival. And you couldn't tell me that yes. these guys were like, okay, I know I can catch a bunch of these things. I'm going to kill all of them, even though I know I can't eat them, right? Yeah. I, I mean, those people at the time would be like, boy, there's a lot of, you know, this fish in this area, this, you know, rabbit population's really good here. I'm going to take a couple and come back later, right? So in a fishing scenario, they're catching fish in this spot. Be like, boy, it's fun catching fish. Practice I know I can catch them. Right. I'm I not going to bother you. I answered your own question. I think that human beings are just hardwired to do exactly that. Like, you know, they like getting it on. That's like hardwired in. And so fishing. By that, you mean lovemaking. Correct. Yeah. 
<laughs> making sweet. I don't know what you meant because a lot of people say like, let's get it out, let's go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the same. It's the same kind of deal. Just hardwired in. Like this is fun. Why it's fun? I, I have no idea. It's just, it's fun. It's just fun. I was talking. A friend of mine is an evolutionary biologist, and uh, we were talking about that, like the benefit, like the evolutionary benefit of of sex being enjoyable is that people will continue to procreate outside of intent you know we my wife's pregnant right now with the kid we weren't exactly planning on so you're preaching to the choir (laughs) (laughs) so she was saying like i wonder and she doesn't hunt we took her out spearfishing in the bahamas went spearfishing and after she's like why is that fun you know she's like i wonder if it's not fun because it was like advantageous for it to seem fun to us that it would mean like even beyond desperation that we'd be out there hammering it like out there fishing out there yeah. hunting like the, the like the if you draw some kind of pleasure from it it's not an onerous task but you'd have it be that yeah i'm just out there and even though i'm not absolutely out of food i'm out there doing it anyway because it's just my it's what i enjoy doing like there's possibly there is some huge adaptive advantage to us thinking it's fun to catch fish. It is huge because, for instance, if you didn't enjoy it that much, you wouldn't do it that much. And when it got truly difficult, you, prob- you might not be that good at it. Whereas the guys that really enjoyed it, almost to the point of you know, overdoing it, when things got really difficult, they were the only guys that were actually catching fish and the only guys that you know were eating enough to go procreate dude if you wrote that <laughs> you would get it published in like science or nature <laughs> i'm sure yeah, I, I like it that's yeah, like the best theory i've ever heard in my entire life that's evolution <laughs> i almost want to end this right now <laughs> i'm sure it's on a no i actually now. want to back <laughs> it up i want to back it up and end it earlier and then steal that idea <laughs> so hold on, hold on, cut all that out i'm gonna do it. okay we'll be right back <laughs> and i'm gonna say what ken just said <laughs> You know, but that's that's how it works, right? The, the guy, yeah, no, you're right. push comes to shove, if the guy is totally obsessed, he's going to be just a little better. So let's say... What if he's obsessed and just, ho- like, just completely horrible at fishing? I already know that guy. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to say his name, but I fish with him. I fish with him. The most, like, the most obsessed like, fisherman I know is the worst fisherman I know. That's what I'm saying. It's like a curse. Uh, all we can hope is that he makes god-awful love to the woman who doesn't like fishing, but if she did, would be extraordinary at it. Yeah. And then you create... This dude is the worst angler, and I feel... A lot of times when people are bad hunting and fishing, I feel that what they lack is killer instinct. Like, they, they, what my brother would say, he, they lack gur. The girl, yeah. it's like they <laughs> lack girl, and they don't have like what it takes. To go, like, you're like I'm gonna kill that thing. Right. Even though you're not gonna kill it. Like today, when I'm fishing, I'm not like if, if I see a fish come up to grab my comes up to pop a dry fly. I don't in the moment when it's happening, in the moment when my mind's registering his presence, I'm lifting the rod. I'm not thinking, oh, you sweet fish, I love you. <laughs> Right. I'm more inclined to say, oh, you son of a... You know what I mean? Yes. It's like I have an antagonist. Even though I love the essence of the thing, in that moment, I feel... This is going to come off weird. I feel a very distinct sport, like a, a hatred for that fish if he doesn't grab my fly. Right. Yes. If I hook him, then I like him again. Correct. If he comes off, I don't like him. But if you go to set the hook and, and your line goes in a pile 
expletives follow. And, and I hate the fish. normally directed at that fish. <laughs> yeah, I hate the fish. It's like, I'm like, I hope something bad happens to you and you die. You just project it. And someone, <laughs> and someone does, what's that word again? To your spine. EKG. Yeah. EKG means you. EKG. I was going to do like EKG, like, like, e, like echo kilo. Helen, to her credit, did not mutter, I think, any expletives on the river today. While did I you was. love them? No, I was very upset with myself, but I, we were watching the little trout eat bugs next to her fly, and I was the one sitting there being like, "You hurt." But now that being said, so you're 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 you take an example of somebody that is doesn't have the gur, but I think that the gur in general can possibly be learned when it comes to hunting. I mean, like first, you acquire gur, perhaps <laughs> when you first go out with. A, can you, you know, bottle it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> when you first go out hunting with a bow, though, and you know you get your first couple close counters with like a big bull, it's kind of I don't know. You're kind of sometimes like, am I? Is this? I, I it's. Can I shoot? You know what I mean. And then after a you while, get you get rattled. I think, and it makes you freaks you out. But then after a while, you know, you I wouldn't say you. Hopefully, you never get comfortable in that situation. It's always exciting, but it goes from kind of like, wow, this is great, to like, how am I going to get an arrow in that animal? Yeah, you know, that's the thing I've said a lot about, uh, particularly bow hunting. But when you pull back on an animal, you have to know that that thing's going to die, because if you're like, I hope, I hope, I hope this doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. It will happen. But yeah. the guy who could be like, I will now kill you. Yeah. Will more like is more that's a more of a successful attitude than sort of being like, Well, let's see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <there> my arrow. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And that's probably why, you know uh, and you know, there's probably some synergy here between uh rifle versus arch bow and and uh spinning or bait fishing versus that's what i thought fly fishing, as, i mean you know i don't know no you, right oh, no well do tell come on tell. <laughs> no i mean i've never i've personally never gone hunting but i imagine fly fishing is like bow hunting you know versus like bait he, fishing he, or jigging or something oh conventionally. my god it's like no, i, just, I wish so? i would have ended the podcast <laughs> here's the similarity <laughs> here's the similarity and that with archery you have got to practice a lot yeah you got to practice you know and and the practice becomes enjoyable like you know leading up to the season you practice every day for a few f- months at least and it, it becomes part of your daily ritual you enjoy the shooting of the bow right Whereas fly fishing, I think a lot of times, even if it, fly fishing is not that great, you kind of enjoy the actual act of casting. Whereas I'm not sure if it's the same with, you know, chuck and bait. No, and I'll tell you what, we just got back from our place in Alaska, bouncing a pound of lead in 250 feet of water for halibut. Right. And you don't enjoy that. Right. It's not like, oh, I love lifting this pound of lead up and bouncing <laughs> on the bottom. But I'll tell you what you do like. Halibut. When that thing goes. Yes. <laughs> And he's on there, and he's smoking line out, and you have no idea if he's two hundred pounds or. That sounds awesome, dude. I'm telling you, but yeah, there's no finesse, there's no art, you know. And to a large extent, I think that fly fishing, you know, you got to practice without even fishing, generally speaking, for at least you know a week or two. I want to interject to say though that Giannis had my my four year old was fishing with us this morning. My four-year-old, what? I mean, he hooked the fish on his, like the first time he ever laid his hand on a fly rod. Yeah. Four-year-old. My hand was all, it took him a long time to catch fish on his, on his, on his Zabco spinning reel. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he smokes. You know, it, it, that's actually something I, 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 this is something I wanted to bring up because my little boy, 
all my little boy knows about like at home when we eat we're all, we just eat game you know we wild fish and wild game at home so he's always every night when we eat we're talking about where this came from you know daddy killed this thing and here's what happened he's always talking about the moose that ran daddy over which Ryan Callen knows, knows that moose well. We're, we're all still eating on that moose. I know. So he <laughs> always knows these stories. Today? He always knows these stories. And he's never heard anyone, because he's young enough where I know what his, his influences are. You know what I mean? Like, he's not off with kids that I don't know, and, you know, I, I, I know who he hangs out with. I take him fishing, and he, we're at my mom's, the lake I grew up on, and we're on my mom's pontoon boat, and he catches five bluegills. I mean, he's like, making his own casts, reeling them in, like legit catches five bluegills. We go home, and I scale the fish, and when I'm flaying bluegills, I just cut their head off first. It's just easier, you know? I get a cleaner fillet. So I come in by their, uh, not pecs, yeah, pectoral fins. No, no, no. The, what's the fin up by the, right below the gill plate? I don't know. can't remember. No, it's pectoral fins. It? So anyway, I come in there, cut the head off, and then I flay them. So as I, I go in and cut the heads off, and I got the heads in one pile and the bodies in another pile, and he's up on a chair next to me helping. And he was like legitimately, honestly upset. And it came from an organic place because this isn't something that's so, – like no, I know that no one has said to him it's bad to kill fish. All he's ever heard is that it's good to kill fish. That's what we eat. He was upset. And you could tell that he thought, he didn't, he didn't articulate this way, but he looked at those fish. He told me, I don't like that you put their heads like that and their bodies like that. He didn't say it, but it was like, it was disrespectful. And he said, and he said this exactly, he expressed regret that we killed those fish and we should have put them back in the lake. So where'd that come from? It came from somewhere. And I'm telling you what, it's like, it's not, he's not saying something that someone else. Well, it could have come from finding Nemo or something. He's never seen that movie. He didn't kill Nemo just then. No, it wasn't that man. I'll tell you my I'm experience. You what, I, I'm sensitive to that because <laughs> what, you know, I always call killer whales, killer whales. You're supposed mm-hmm. to call them now. Like a lot of like softies call them orcas, but orcas just some, like it's like a Greek word that means whale. They used to call them whale killers because you know, now you can't call them killer whales because people think it gets a bad reputation. I always call them killer whales. One day my kid comes back, he's like, you know, you got it all wrong. I was down at the Seattle Aquarium. It's an orca. <laughs> so now he always calls them orcas. So he cited to me where he heard contrary information. No one, I'm telling you, no one has told that kid. Well, not nobody's to kill told blue this gills. kid that you can't kill, call a killer whale a killer whale. You know like, that? Yeah. It's no. an orca. And are you re-hurting the whale's feelings? What do you mean give them a bad Apparently, reputation? Apparently, I don't know. Yeah. I, I have no exactly. idea what they're at. I think they're like badasses, right? Yeah, so. and orca just means whale. I, it's the stupidest thing in the world. I, but like some of my nearest, dearest friends are like, oh, it's an orca. One day I was with these guys, speaking of all this, am I getting way too far afield? Can I tell a quick story? Okay, <laughs> I was working on a book about buffalo, and everybody knows buffalo's a bison. So the American bison, the American buffalo. It's not actually a buffalo, blah, blah, blah. People have been calling them buffalo a hell of a lot longer than they've been calling them bison. I've never said to someone in my life, buffalo, and had them be confused about what I was talking about. Yeah. Okay? On this continent. <laughs> Anyways, I was with these guys. When I was working on my book, I spent some time with these guys' buffalo field campaign. Okay? So they're like, are, they're pretty radical environmentalists who have a certain vision for American buffalo, American bison. And their group's called the Buffalo Field Campaign. So their group uses a name that's not the scientific proper name for the species, which is bison. I'm standing with this guy outside of Yellowstone Park in Gardner, Montana, and I see an antelope, okay? 
I go, hey, check out those antelope over there. It's actually pronghorn, he says to me. I'm like, dude, you you work for a group that calls something the wrong name. Oh, it drove me nuts, man. I can tell that bothered me more than bothered you guys. <laughs> so is it so, true? yeah, do you say Wait. antelope or pronghorn? Just like everything under the under yeah. prairie goat? Speed goat, goat. Speed goat, prairie goat. Yeah, pronghorn, antelope. I combine them now. I found I found myself doing like the weirdest thing. You should have like, been prong- like, it's antelope capra americana. <laughs> prong-alope. That'd be good. I, I always say pronghorn antelope. And I'm like, well, like why? I just say that. There's prongalope. There's no confusing that. <laughs> Antiprong. All right, who, what Loper. were we talking about before I got off on that? Jimmy. Uh, oh, the, he had like a natural. Yeah. And I got to say, my experience with folks from Michigan who fish, this kid is like gone way off the reservation because all the Michiganders I know, like they fill the freezer. Yeah. That's, that's the program. Well, he told me now, I gave him a, not a stern talking to. Is it a Michigander? But he told me this morning, he goes, I get it now. He's like, I get it now. You know, and I don't know what that means, but he's like, now it's okay. But when he let that cut go today, he said, I'm quoting him. He said, there you go, back in the wild. <laughs> okay, I got to visit something. What, so you guys eat bass out there? Largemouth? I eat them as a political statement. What does it taste like? I tried cooking bass one time in a bind, and let me tell you, it didn't go I, My fishing mentor, who grew up about six houses down from me, was a man named John Gary. He fished so much and caught so many fish that he sold like a black market fish sales. He's dead now. And it, uh Right before he died, I was over at his house, and he offered to sell me. He's like, I'll make a deal. I'll sell you my house. Everything in it down to my shoes. <laughs> Lakefront property. Say, like, I'll sell you this house for $75,000. You give me the money now. The only deal is I live here till I die. And when I die, you have everything down to my shoes. Why, why do you want to keep his shoes after he dies? He's saying, no, he's saying that I would be buying everything he's ever owned Understood. on the agreement that he could get the money now and continue to live in his house till he died. And I didn't take him up on that deal. I should have ran down to a bank. Anyways, <laughs> he ate a lot of bass and largemouth bass, and he soaked them in milk and grilled them. Whoa. Whoa. Skin on, took largemouths, soaked them in milk, grilled them skin down. Scaled them? No. Oh. No, because what he would do then, he'd put the fish on the grill, skin mm-hmm. down, scales on. He'd cook it till it, was, till it got, you know, they get loose from their skin. He'd then take the fish and flip it back over onto its skin so it didn't get stuck to the grill. Finish it like that, and he would eat them all the time like that. What it tastes like? Muddy fish. Yeah. What is the milk thing? Because it like, helps with the muddiness. I'm telling you, it does, man. Does I'll it? Pepsi challenge it any <laughs> really? day of the week. <laughs> I sell catfish in milk. Better than, like, salt water. Like, I don't know. I can't answer that question. It's an interesting thing that you brought up because a lot of the people that live by the ocean um, and fish in the rivers, they don't even keep any fish unless they catch them in the, within like five miles. Because ocean fish are 10 times better than freshwater that's fish. That's what they say. They say, I don't even like it. <laughs> There's no, it's like, that's not even debatable. They taste it. They're like, I, they catch big 40 pound salmon going back. It's like, I don't even, and the, if it's like more than two miles or whatever, you know, off the, away out of the ocean. Forget it. Well, with salmon, it makes sense because when a salmon goes to enter, he's in the best shape he's ever going to be in for his entire life. Right. When he leaves the ocean. When he's at the mouth, right, if he's still actively feeding near river mouth, he's never going to be in better shape. He's got a higher fat content than he's ever going to have the rest of his life. And the minute he enters that river, he's degraded. Yeah. He's going downhill. And they taste like mud. They just get worse and worse. They get, you know, pretty soon they got like fungus and lesions all over them. But... 
Um, yeah, but now I eat largemouth just as a political statement. Hmm. Every time I kill largemouth and flat, I like to put it on social media. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I know I'm not damaged. I'm not damaging a fishery when I when I thump a largemouth. It's not. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scattergun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, and I'm in the navel, and I hear, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on on X and I'll look at the topography and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. I don't, I don't I, listen, man, I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like to, I just buy my stuff online and I love their shirts. Max that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day. I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting. Not, not all baggy, better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability and way comfortable. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns so you can try them out risk-free. But how often do you guys eat like 
trout or like i mean because people are eating i just ate a trout i ate a trout the day after uh i ate a rainbow the day after me and Giannis here contracted trichinosis <laughs> you guys both got tricked from bear <laughs> 98 <laughs> percent like of the, the cases of trichinosis come bears. from bears so anyways we ate some trout and grayling one of them was caught on a fly pole a fly rod I call it a fly pole. <laughs> as a political wow. statement. Yeah. As a political wow. statement, I call it a fly pole. See, I think the ideal thing would be to like, I mean, just because of my like water access to learn how to fly fish, but salt water. So then you can target like blue Tasty fish, and fish, striped bass yeah. and stuff on Absolutely. the fly. Because to me, it's like a progression. Like as a fisher, you know, fisherman or whatever, it's like, okay, you can bait fish you can jig you can do all but it's like what's the next step you know like the next challenge it's like fly fishing is to me like much more challenging you know obviously because i'm a beginner but like, that's it's that's something. ridiculous you so? man you, don't you cannot so? make a statement like that you don't think so no okay go up to go up and, and show me how easy it is to go mooch like a big 30 40 pound king i guess that's true. i guess it's because i've never well, done so it was so simple yeah. you just well i don't even know what you do it's like it's not. It depends on the situation. It, dep- it depends uh, on the Steve, species, too. you just put too. your bait over the side. Okay, go to my no, mom's. No, no, go no, stand no. at my mom's dock. <laughs> go stand at my mom's dock with a beadhead pheasant tail when the bluegills are on the beds and tell me how tough it is to hook them on a fly rod. You can't keep that's them true. off. That's true. I guess it depends it on the situation. It just depends on the situation. Yeah, that's true. But uh, well, on those but- situations where you cannot keep them off, I change things up. Because I'm like, okay, I know I can catch him this way. Really? Yeah, I do all That's the legit. time. And when we fish steelhead, yep. you know, I'm like, okay, I know for a fact today I can catch a fish this way. Yeah. But if they're that hungry to eat everything I throw in this way, I bet I can tie this on and catch a, de- you know, catch a few fish. So when you're, when you're like hammering ducks on a great day, I know you like to hunt ducks, mm-hmm. do you ever start shooting left-handed? No. No, I do not. Do you ever start like pouring out half the shot out of your shot shell and put it back together again <laughs> and shooting that? No, I do not. Okay. Just curious. But the thing, I'm eating those too. Yeah. You know, typically but I to really your don't point, eat steel. You head. would if you were hammering them switch to a 12 gauge instead of a 20, I mean a 20 instead of a 12. You would? Yeah. yeah. I don't know anybody that's ever done that in the history of my life. That's common out here. Perhaps to you go should get out, out duck hunting with a 12 and a 20 and be like, if I start really knocking them no, dead, I'm going to switch to my 20. T- You're like, the hunting's been good. It was good last night. I'm shooting with the 12. I'm shooting with the 20 tonight. There's some other reasons. The 20 is significantly quieter. So. It's probably because your head hurts from shooting your 12. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> hurts so good. Uh, All right. Um, I had, man, right? We watched a movie last night with a guy shooting ducks with a black powder. Black powder. Now, that is respect. Like, I respect that. Right, but why is he doing that? For the challenge. No, he I said respect it's fun. that. It's fun. Yeah, well, it's just like fun. Wait, a, synonym a black for powder with this dude hunts ducks with. So this is like okay, last night. We're at the the the, the hunt and film tour sponsored by First Light, sponsored by as a fundraiser for backcountry hunters and anglers. I spoke there briefly, a couple minutes. I had five minutes to explain to people why public land is important, why backcountry is important, which is typically like five minute subject. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to cover it as quickly as possible. Probably took me six minutes to explain a little bit about why we need more of it around. Or not more. There's no way to get more. You don't get more of it. Why we need to hang on to what we have. Um, And there was a film there about a dude who made a little wetland and was shooting exposed hammer black powder at ducks. And he's saying, if I could go out like a limit seven, if I can get two with this, it's better to me than getting seven with something else. 
Yeah. I just thought he don't like duck meat that much. <laughs> <laughs> Could be the case. Now, I'll tell you the fly fisherman I'm going to respect. And again, I, I keep on it because there's two things. There's, there's a guy out there's like a bunch of guys out there right now super annoyed because they're probably the meat slaying people on the planet who like fish fly rods, right? They probably fish stripers on a fly rod, thump every fish they get, eat them all day long. They don't think that there's this dichotomy where it's like, oh, you, you fish with spin reel, so you must be a meat guy. And you fish with a fly rod, so you must not because there's a hell of a lot of guys that fish largemouth bass with spin and tackle and never kill a fish ever, right? So it's not like it's not a dichotomy, but just, I'm talking about general trends, particularly in the Western U.S. Anyway, so there's that I should clear up. I want to meet the guy, and Giannis alluded to this today. I want to meet the guy who not just cuts the barb off his hook, but cuts the whole hook off <laughs> before the bend because he's so pure of heart, so pure of mind that he just wants to see that fish come up and lip the thing. But we can make that. a phone call where we would not um, get a hold of Ted himself, but I can get a hold of probably the guide who guides Ted. I'm guessing you don't mean Ted Nugent. No. <laughs> <laughs> Way cooler than Ted Nugent. But um, this dude's, uh, he could darn be close to 90 years old, and he's fly-fished the Eagle River for uh, you know 30 years yeah. and uh, floats all the time. And, um, yeah, on those good days when they're just, like I was saying, every couple minutes you're getting a hit on the dry. He catches a couple, kind of gets the tug out of the way, and then just starts clipping the hook Is off. that right? Because yep. he just loves the... He, he feels like it's getting in his way to fight, net, release, and all that out of the fun he's getting out of casting and watching those fish eat that dry. Yeah. Helen, how long have we been going for? An hour and eight minutes. All right. What, um... Since I got you, since I got you, uh, first light boys sitting right here. What's uh, what's cool on the horizon? Are you gonna make some? Are you gonna make a coat that lures in bull elk? <laughs> we work on scents all day <laughs> in the office. It is. You come in there and it just assaults. It's called yeah. the, cow, the cow and estrus coat. Yeah, it's odorific in that office. No, what's going on? So you got. I, know I you guys- do. I do really appreciate you. Uh, you know, mentioning that we do try to keep a live person in the office. When's this going to go on? When's this going to be on the radio? I don't know. Whenever I feel like it. Like how long? A week? I don't know. Why does that matter? Just tell us what's happening. Cool yeah, first <laughs> day, man. Oh, because you got, oh, because you're worried. Okay. Yeah. You're safe. I mean, what you tell me at what point. <laughs> yeah. No, you can t- yeah tell me at what point. Two weeks. Week. Okay. You're fine. Right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't, if it's something that you don't want us to release, you know, we won't do it. Yeah, that's fine. We're just talking about the you new You guys coming out of the line of swimwear? We're coming out with the <laughs> new, our new camouflage pattern. Really? Yep. Yep. It was designed by a guy, that uh, an ex-army guy who was just super, super into camo. And we started development maybe, I don't know, well over a year ago. And um, we've, we're coming out with a new camo pattern that we've just for first light. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. That's a good idea, though. Yeah, it is. You know, we've really liked a lot of the existing camo patterns, and they certainly work great for certain environments, but we kind of wanted to take some of the technology of a few different patterns and kind of blend them into one and kind of make a camo pattern that worked um, well in a bunch of different environments. Does it have a name? Fusion. Really? Yeah, Hmm. First Light Fusion. And you're going to make all your stuff in that? Yep, and um, it'll all be available here uh, by the end of the year. Most of the base layers and stuff should be available in the next week or so but no one's seen it i nope. have seen it nope no one's seen it no one's seen it we didn't have it the shot show it was it's just so difficult to get 
we have so many different fabrics now we had no idea if we could even pull it off this year. So basically, we just went forward with the program and said if we can do it in time for hunting season, fine. If not, whatever. But, you know, there's just all these different – all the fabrics have to match, you know. You might buy one synthetic top from on one end of the country and another merino piece from another end of the country. You want to wear them together. So you got to – Only look different. Yeah. So you really got to struggle to get all those colors to match and everything. So it takes a long time. So once we got all our factories all in line, um, we told them, you know, let's go. When we were building it, so we're going to have uh, stuff ready shortly. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You're the – was you the first person to ever put camouflage on merino wool? Yes. Basically – um, which, is a, which is not an easy thing to do. It was it's a total Kenton. pain. It's Kenton. Yeah, it was me. The, uh, we started you wearing... You got a box of Crayola crayons? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Melted them, put them in the oven, bam! <laughs> yeah. No, we started... Uh, we were all totally into hunting, and then we started wearing... You know, we live in a ski town. So then kind of in the early 2000s, you know, uh, Merino stuff kind of came into the ski and snowboarding and snowmobiling scene pretty heavy, you know, and we started switching over to that Like people stuff. started wearing it just because they realized it didn't reek. Like it wasn't exactly. so smelly and they started, uncomfortable. They started, yeah, it didn't smell, and it's, it's, it's just way more comfortable even when you do sweat. And then, you know, we were all super into archery hunting and hunting in general, and um, it didn't take long to f- figure out that this would be way better than the existing products for hunting. But at the time, nobody printed on Merino. You know, people are like T-shirt style, maybe like, you know, they'd, a finished T-shirt and they'd print, you know, something like cutesy on it, but not like large rolls, just rolls. Yeah. In. So it took us about 18 months to find a factory that could actually do it. You know, we tried a couple different things and it, it didn't feel good or whatever. Um, then we found a guy that could do it and do it well and uh, that was the beginning of the company the first year i showed up at the shot show with literally like a duffel bag and i had five pieces you know and that was it and just kind of hung them up and you know some weird dude <laughs> that was weird <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was kid was wearing white <laughs> with your like skater Levi's like white boots <laughs> tucked yeah, in shirt why, those are my hunting boots you know I wore whites <laughs> up until like eight years ago they're just the most comfortable shoes I'd use you mean for. white logger boots or the yeah pants? logging yeah, that's no, what I, I used for about. logging and that's what we used for you know walking around it wasn't until probably eight or seven or eight years ago that we kind of got into the more um, you know technical stuff but that's what we'd work in all day so we yeah. figured out it's great for hunting but the fact is it's kind of a different deal, you know, and once we switched over to, you know, now I use handbags, but, you know, Solomon's or whatever, just having something lighter that, w- the thing with whites is that if you have to wear them every single day, you'd wear out a pair of Solomon's in six And when months. you see a guy on a oh, trade show with, yeah, like, yeah, they're not, I mean? yeah, they're not, they're, they're not intending that you're actually just going to wear them around right. on hard surfaces all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, or even, in, you know, in the woods, you destroy them, whereas a pair of whites you wear for whatever, you know, two years, you send them out, they get them resold, and they're good to go. I keep a pair of schnees, I keep a pair of schnees for hunting, Yeah, and I keep a pair of schnees for not hunting, because I don't want my hunting boots to get screwed up walking on sidewalks and stuff like that. Right, yeah, you know makes I mean? sense. It totally. dulls the edges down too Big bad, time. and then you can't cut in on hills, you know. Big time. Yeah, and going down hills, they still aren't as good as whites. But the fact is, is that you know our hunting season out here, it's only whatever ten weeks. So you'd rather have a pair of shoes that, that they don't have to last that long. You just have to work really well and be really light and make yeah. it so you can carry a you know eighty hundred pound pack down a hill, and all of a sudden 
once you realize that, it's it's nice, you know. I think for the listener, we should explain <laughs> what whites are. Because yeah, I don't know I, what whites yeah, are. Yeah, I just barely know. They're what out of they Spokane. Are. Yeah, yeah, they're out of Spokane, American made. They're just like they're you know what you see all the Forest Service guys wearing the logging guys. It looks like a, a, to the untrained eye, it looked like a lady boot. Yeah, the heels just are got a big heel two inches. It, you know? Yeah, pretty low pro. Yeah, they're two inches, and then they've got just regular Vibram soles, but they can rebuild them for you, you know. <laughs> you send in like yeah, I used to have some whites pack boots, which just like real heavy. I used oh, to yeah. use them climbing trees in the wintertime because I used to do arborist work. You yeah, know? we get these winter contracts doing uh, Boulevard Maples. I remember one year we did three hundred and some Boulevard Maples, and some days it's ten degrees below zero. Because this is cutting trees in Montana, and I would put tree spikes on over them because they're so rigid. Right. But I always thought they're like kind of too rigid for hunting. You know they were, but they break in. But that's you know we that's before we'd spend all day in the woods. You know we had a logging business, firewood and whatever. That was just what you wore. And then after a while, though, you know you realize wow, there's some way better options there. Yeah. Especially because they don't have to last. Like I said, you know maybe a season or two seasons max, and you're ready to buy a new pair. You know. You know I want to talk a minute about. You know, just talking about wool because you guys do such a nice job with the merino wool stuff. Wool's had a weird history because my, my old man, like my old man, started hunting after World War II. So he started hunting. He got back from World War II in 1945. Um, got into hunting. He said at the time, like there wasn't, you didn't have like sporting goods like you have now. You know, he said they used to, they just hunted in their clothes. They hunted in their military surplus stuff. He said for ten years, it's still the best stuff you could have. And he just spent two and a half years crawling around, essentially camping out. You know, from all through Italy, up into Europe, in wool clothes, and living in a foxhole camp. So he said they just hunted that stuff. And he he told he tells a funny story where he used to just hunt with other vets. You know, and they were out one time in a field hunting. Everybody had their army surplus stuff on. I guess it wasn't surplus back then. Their army stuff back on. And someone took a shot. He said a couple of those guys out the field all hit the deck, like it was like still like in their head. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? But he always hunted in wool. I mean, he, all the time I was growing up, my old man wore, you know, those like green wool. Yeah. like the, They're not surplus, but I don't remember who makes them, but it's like a field pant. Yep. And you die hiking into your tree stand. You'd be like so sweaty, you know? <laughs> right. We used to like hike in and then put your pants on when you got there because right. they're so warm, this thick green wool. And my mom would buy bulk wool fabric in so close for me and my brothers out of wool that we would hunt in. I wish I had saved them. We all had pants and a jacket that my mom made out of wool. We sat up there hotter than hell. And I remember, like, when I was a little kid, they came out with that King of the Mountain wool clothes. Yeah. And getting that catalog and um, just dreaming over that trapper pullover. It was like a $400 washable oh, wool jacket. It seemed like it was like unfathomable that you'd like have that kind of money to buy some sort of garment. And then Cabela's came out with a washable wool. It was supposed to be like a, a knockoff of King of the Mountain. And they were half as much. And I bought a pair of those pants and washed them, and they were like spandex. And my buddies right. would be like, they'd be like, dude, what are those? I'm like, listen, man, you're looking at a lot of money right now. I don't care what these things look like. I'm wearing them. And then now, with like your guys' stuff, like you honestly can put it in. It's like you wash in the washing machine. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It is. I mean, but it's, it's like still the best fabric, and it grows on the back of sheep. It's, it's crazy. good line for a bachelor. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I wasn't even aware of like wool, but you know, I mean, I've been wearing Poly Pro since I was ten years old. Dude, when I when I started hunting the mountains, we looked like dudes out of the REI catalog. <laughs> yeah, we wore mountain clothes. Yeah, we didn't have anything actually meant for a hunter. One, because it was all too big. Right. If you're like a skinny guy who runs around the mountains a lot, 
it's too big for you. Right. Then, and so we just wore like mountaineering clothes. We hunted in mountaineering clothes. Same exact yeah. thing. We'd yeah. have like blue and red, you know what I mean? It was yeah. like hard. We'd like, I'd like get writ dye and try to like dye stuff right. so it was a little duller. <laughs> yeah. Some Patagonia stuff, some, a lot of Sims fleeces. Totally, man. Totally. And I would shop. get it at, I would go to Goodwills. I didn't yeah. have a lot of money. I was in school. I'd go to Goodwills in rich towns. Like if you could hit a Goodwill in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, you know, or hit a Goodwill here. Catch them, Idaho. You would go in there and walk out <laughs> like tricked out in amazing mountain apparel, ski apparel and stuff. And we'd hunt it because it was like so great. Now there's, okay. you know, now people make stuff for like skinny dudes that like they run around the mountains. Flip side is senior citizen centers. Don't overlook those because you get they flag them. You get, uh, you know, old guy dress sweaters that are 100 percent lambs wool. Oh, <laughs> and you can haggle those ladies down at the yeah. counter. No, my brother I man, mean, he still does hunt old man sweaters. Uh, yeah, it's like, whoa, what are you talking about? Yeah, awesome. it works. So yeah, that was it. And then that's you know the. Once everything kind of switched over from synthetics to wool, um, so did we. And then, you know. You mean everything meaning the smart people? I just, you know. like The people the, who don't like smelly clothes. Yeah. The people who spend a lot of time outside, you know. Like, we're to, it, fortunate to live in a place where everybody spends a lot of time outside, you know. So This is a fit town, man. Yeah, a lot of. I'm telling you what, last night. people. Some fit mugs. <laughs> so, but that's like a fit crowd, you know. Yeah. They would come out for something like that. I was kind of blown away, man. Yeah. I mean, this place is unique, too, in that, I mean, it's 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 as steep as it gets. Like, most places in the mountains, you know, you could still kind of enjoy yourself walking up and down stuff. Out here, everything's like 30 degrees minimum, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's just so steep that yeah. if, no, it's if amazing you're not steep pretty fit, it's really, it just wouldn't be fun. You'd just be like, this sucks. Yeah, Ryan was showing us a place he likes to hunt. He said, this is one place I can just tell people where I hunt because they're not going to walk up that hill. <laughs> <laughs> it's the dream. I'm like, there's you might, up there right now. Yeah. And you might be walking yeah. along. You might be walking along and kick something and realize that it's Hemingway's cut-up shotgun. Right. Whoa, he brought it full circle. <laughs> he brought the podcast full circle. I'll bet you that I'm guy wrap is right it up. there. There's the welder right there. Right, right. He's walking by. He's down in the pool. Yeah, he is. He sold those pieces. Sells one piece off every now and then. Helen, Helen, show me a note. <laughs> Just tell me what it is, Helen. No, we're going to post the, the show notes on themediator.com. We'll post links to the AKGMA videos and all of those. I don't understand what that means. Like, show notes? Yeah. We just did a show. Helen's been taking notes. You know, You're like, going like, to post no, the like, show notes. Yeah, like links to videos and stuff that people might want to check out. The, the EKG video oh. and like relevant stuff about our podcast. So Helen says, we'll post podcast show Jeez. notes. God, links, etc. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. We should talk about not forgetting things in the woods, too. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, Helen... <laughs> Helen used right. to be Helen right. used to Here be the most. Here we go. I used to admire Helen's work ethic, and I'm old <laughs> enough to have sired Helen. That is I, not true. I, if I was You're not. at 12, I could have sired you at 12 years old. Yeah. Actually, I couldn't have. I could have. I, I'm almost embarrassed to say it. So, um, uh, Helen lost her phone today when she went to pee in the woods. <laughs> It's so different for girls to have to go in the woods. Yes. I don't lose anything when I pee in the woods because I stay upright. My pockets stay oriented Good upright. for you. But girls got to invert, essentially invert and <laughs> spill their pockets out. Did you find it? No. She, it's, a, it's an hour away. She's got to go back and get the thing. Why do you, you need to call it? She's sitting here right now. How? Wait, is she going to walk back over? Watch some dude picks it up. 
<laughs> yeah. I'm exactly. sorry, you're fishing. <laughs> that one guy that was there. Uh-huh. So, what was I talking about? Oh. Show notes. Should you be listening to this podcast? And you're like, man, I wish I knew what they were talking about. You go to TheMeteor.com, and you will find show notes. You'll find like links to stuff that we're talking about. Is that what you mean? Yes. Why don't you say that? Helen missed her flight yesterday. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> Mr. Flight lost her phone. Didn't catch it. Squat. It's been a rough week. <laughs> All right. Giannis, we tell us any la- anything you want to close on? He's shaking his head no if you can't. He, if you- <laughs> <laughs> you can't hear the shake. I was deep in thought there, but no. Brian Callahan, closing thoughts. After I brought it full circle with that Hemingway deal, I mean, what are you going to do? I, there's nothing. <laughs> you wrapped it up tight, tight. We got some cooking to do tonight. I'm starting to think about oh, that. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I want to talk about that real quick, real fast. Amazing menu. So, backcountry hunting angler fundraiser tonight. I'm doing beaver con feet, which is where. Si, senor. Yeah. I, I feel like I had some guy be like, oh, no, because you don't know what's been done. I just have a feeling that I'm the first guy on the face of the I'm the first guy to ever have made beaver con feet. He's like, you don't know. Everything's been done. I'm like, no, I don't know. That's why I said I think I'm the first guy to ever make beaver con feet. Every tall peak around here has got a Coors yellow belly sitting on top of it. You're never the first guy to make it up there. No. You know what? We were hunting in BC. Remember, we were up on that crazy ridge, and the wind was just howling, and you looked down, sure enough, 32 caliber, 32 caliber Dominion Did you look casing. that cartridge up? Yes, yeah, Canadian maker. Wow. I took a piece of, I took a little bit of white out. I have a, after, on your, per your suggestion, I made a medicine, I didn't do a medicine bag, I did a medicine box. Cool. Which is like Very a cool. centralized location to put all your weird stuff. So I took that. Cool. 30, finds. I put, took that 32 Domin- Dominion casing and took white out and made just. I did like artifacts in the museum. I did white out and then I wrote the date, location I found it. And then I took my wife's uh, nail, what do you call it? Lacquer, nail lacquer. Nail, not polished. It wasn't colored. Darn if I know. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Clear yeah, nail yeah. polish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went over. So I did white out. Then I wrote the date and location. Then I went over that with clear nail polish, let it dry, and threw it in my medicine box. Sweet. That's cool that you started. Did you start one? I've had one for a while. Dude, I've nice. got boars, tusks, Indian arrowheads. Well, I have my tooth that fell out of my head. From that, uh, from that black bear. Do you? Sitting on my desk at home. I got pecker bones in there. Yeah. Yeah. AKA um, Swizzle Sticks. Swizzle Sticks. AKA <laughs> Baculums. Baculums. Baculum. <laughs> ra- my raccoon baculum off a 20 pound raccoon is as big as a black bear baculum off a 200 pound black badger, bear. Badger, buddy. You start skinning out a badger and you're like, you just can't get through it because all the baculum. <laughs> I had to give up. All right, Joe, you already closed your thoughts. You lost your phone. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe likes her phone. Kenton? No, nothing to close with. All right. Thanks for listening. Tune in for more. Take care. Have a good day. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho 
is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that Sport Dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working. Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash MEATEATER to learn more. 